You're listening to Just One of the Guys, where you have no idea how happy I was to say just this to the respective writers of the comic over the past few issues. I say no, you say stop, but I say go. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a much happier, much more enjoyable, and much more friendly episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast, hosted, as always, by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. My name's Sean Ingle, and my job on this show is to cover the Green Lantern comics, specifically the ones starting with cover date June 1990 and ending with cover date November 2004, all the while putting a special emphasis on my favorite characters, Guy Gardner and Kyle Ray. And thankfully, we're coming back to some good Kyle Rayner stories with Ron Mars on the book. Yes, after the horror, tragedy, and near-complete defamation of the character, we're back to some wonderful writing by Ron Mars, the person who brought Kyle into the DC Universe, and it looks like the person who's going to write him out. And as we spoke in the last issue, this does kind of feel like an ending of an era. And I'm so glad that we're getting Ron Mars to come back and do this. Would have been nice if we could have gotten Daryl Banks to do this, but Luke Ross is doing a decent job here. But what we're going to be taking a look today at is Green Lantern number 177, a title called Homecoming Part 2, where Kyle is going to eventually resolve some issues with Jenny. And because Ron Mars is writing this... I'm actually going to have some positive things to say about it. In fact, I don't think any time through my synopsis, I call her a lying, cheating whore. Which is, I would think, a great step up from how I portrayed her in previous episodes of this show. But plus, we've got some good new promos to play. Specifically one for a new podcast that's uh, showing up on the Two True Freaks Network that I think you should all listen to. Plus, we'll try and squeeze an email or two in from some of you wonderful listeners. But until we get to that, let's finish off this wonderful song by one of the greatest bands ever. Captain Marvel. Batman. It is 1985. Robin of Earth 2. Sergeant Rock. The Legion of Superheroes. This is the most eagerly awaited comic book event in 50 years. Tommy Tomorrow. Jonah Hex. Commandy. 
It will one day be called the greatest comic book event of all time. Swamp Thing. Wonder Woman. The New Teen Titans. The Haunted Tank. Infinity Incorporated. Worlds will live. Green Arrow. Worlds will die. Supergirl. The Flash. And that is only the beginning. The Justice League of America. The All-Star Squadron. The Huntress. Area. The Metal Man. Firestorm. The Nuclear Man. The Outsiders. Green Lantern. The Blue Beetle. The Crime Syndicate. Warlord. The Guardians of the Universe. Tales of the Justice Society of America proudly presents... And many, many more. Crisis on Infinite Earths. The DC Universe will never be the same. Coming January only at twotruefreaks.com. Grom, I have never prayed to you before. I have no tongue for it. No one, not even you, will remember if we were good men or bad. Why we bought, why we sold on eBay. All that matters is that 50 cent Captain Kirk Migo action figure. That's what's important. Cheapness pleases you, Grom. So grab me one request. Grab me the fruit of suburbia's garage sales. Let me drive those dealers away from that box of records and hear the lamentations of the children as I buy their Star Wars toys for a quarter. And if you do not listen, there's a hell with you! Hello, I'm Chris Honeywell, and I make my living going to garage sales and then selling the junk I find on eBay. That's right, just like those assholes on TV. You can hear a podcast all about it where I tell you about all the good junk I got, how I sold it, give you tips gripe, bitch, and moan, and even have friends come along with me. So check it out. It's called Garage Sale Gloat, and it can only be found at twotruefreaks.com, which is, of course, the home of the Two True Freaks Network. Duh. Hey, Michael. Hey, Dad. We need to record another new trailer. Another one? Yes. You know that we read comics and then talk about comics, because as we've established, talking about comics you've not read is just dumb. Yeah, and you're making me do it every Thursday. Well, we've moved. Have we? Yes, we have outgrown our old location. I don't feel like I've moved. And we have now moved to twotruefreaks.com. What was that again? Twotruefreaks.com. A-Kids Comics, still every Thursday at twotruefreaks.com. Now I'll show you what I already know. As one tiny spark becomes a night of blazing suspense. There is fire, there is smoke. Burn it down! Burn it down! Dick, you're fired! Thank you. Playmon! Hey, Johnny! I didn't know you could ignite parts of your body. Now, to do the job, I need some high octane gasoline. Ray Shields. Fire! What would you like to do in the whole world? Burn it all. Your world will burn. Come on, let's burn them all. Go! Go! Some men aren't looking for anything logical, like money. They can't be bought, bullied, reasoned, or negotiated with. Some men 
just want to watch the world burn. Third Degree Burn, a podcast looking at all things John Byrne. Available at tutufreaks.com. What a hothead. And we're back. And what you heard there was a brand new promo for a brand new podcast over at the Two True Freaks Network, Third Degree Burn, hosted by Brian Hughes and Tim Elliott, my compatriots from the, well, from down south. They're in Texas. I won't hold that against them. There are some good things that come out of Texas. You know, I can think of three that operate on the Two True Freaks Network that I would highly recommend. But Brian and Tim do a great show about everything and anything John Byrne. They're going to talk about his writing. They're going to talk about his art. They may even talk about his lettering. And so far, they've got a couple episodes out. The most recent one was a cover of the two-part Ant-Man story that introduced Scott Lang and Marvel Premiere. So definitely go check that out. They crossed over to Back to the Bins. Brian and Tim have got a great show going, and if you're a fan of John Byrne, you definitely need to listen to the show. Third Degree Burn, check it out over at Two Drew Freaks. But promos and everything over, let's go ahead and check out some email from you wonderful, wonderful listeners. You've got mail. Pattern baldness. <laughs> and once again, I'm graced with an email from my good friend to the Great White North, Mr. Scott Davis. He writes in this time with the subject of his email, The Blind. He says, hi, Sean. I hope you're doing well in the summer heat. Oh, dear Lord, it's hot outside. To be honest, I don't think it's as hot as it has been previous summers. I don't think I've had a day over 100, but it's been consistently in the high 90s, and it's just oppressive. But that's summer. So, yeah, it's staying indoors in the air conditioning, always good. But Scott says, here are a few comments on some issues I was able to read recently. Green Lantern 165, this was a good issue, and it was nice to see that this was the first issue with Voz. You are correct. Voz is still in the current Green Lantern Lantern run as the Warden of the Science Cells. Okay, well, that's good to hear. Actually, that might not be the case anymore because some things are shaking up in the current run right now. Uh Uh-oh. To be honest, I would rather Rob not revisit the Black Circle story arc. It was a bit uneventful. I do think Terry's dad is written very well because he's trying to be supportive, but he's also being an asshole at the same time. Bizarro Kilowog is really weird to see, and I agree, let's get the real Kilowog back ASAP. The art and coloring in this book is excellent. No, I'm I'm glad you're enjoying the Ben Raid run, or Ben Rod, uh, again. I don't care about his name, I'll pronounce it however. I, I'm glad you're enjoying it. The opening part of it was decent, it was just when we got into the later part where he started writing more about Jenny that it just got horrendous. And then it got way too deep into the black circle thing with Strawberry, Shadowhawk, Kyle Rayner. Oh, Lord. Issue 166, The Blind Part 1, he says, This was an excellent story, and I'm really excited about the Rob run. Sorry to burst your bubble. I guess we can't trust anyone with gloves now because they could all be a potential part of the Black Circle. I thought for sure Jenny and Marin were going to kiss when they were drinking in the club together and they were getting kind of close. So that, um, you know, it couldn't be another form of character assassination that Ben Robb could do to Jenny Lynn Hayden and all. Might as well just make her a lesbian and kiss people as well. Or maybe it was just fun female kissing type stuff. Whatever. He says, Liana cracks me up every time I see her because of her outfit. Cracks you up or makes you tamp back vomit. You know, probably one and the same sometimes. 
Are you serious? The alien on that last page is male? I was in the same boat as you and thought she she was female. Mind blown. Yeah, when Shiro Nova was first introduced, the way that the character looked, it was very... It was a very feminine figure, so odd. Green Lantern 167, The Blind Part 2, he says, This was a nice two-issue two story, two story arc, and I really enjoyed it. I'm a little confused why Shiro Nova had to apologize to his children. They must be held hostage or something. John doesn't fight at all for Marin to stay. Maybe John sees this as his chance to get out of the relationship so he can go hit the club or go find Fatality or something. Interesting you mentioned that because Fatality is going to be coming up in the uh, current story, so that'll be interesting. I don't know whether John's desire to get rid of Marin or his if this was cause for him to try and end the relationship, but unfortunately things weren't really resolved with either Shiro Nova or John and Marin in the story. Hopefully we'll get more about them later on with Ron Mars picking up the remnants of what was being placed in the Ben Rayburn. Greenlander 168, and he says, I actually like this issue because the art is great by Burchett. Actually, I'm really interested to see where the Shiro Nova character is going, and it's funny that you're not, though. Hate to say it, I don't think anything happens with Shiro Nova. I think that's kind of dropped after the Ben Rayburn, and I don't know if Ron Mars picks it up. He's, or no, Scott continues saying, To be honest, I was a little confused about the battle between Sarkis and Kyle as well. Was Kyle present when the Pope killed that poor dude at the altar? I guess not. You made a good point about how ridiculous it was that the Pope went through his elaborate scheme of creating all these prophecies for this one chance to kill Kyle. It's nice to see that Kyle's dog collar is gone, though. Oh, yes. Uh, that was a unfortunate design element for his costume, and yeah, I, I'm not missing it all. Anyway, Scott says, thanks, Sean, and have a great week. Well, thank you, Scott, for writing in. I really do appreciate it, and I appreciate your opinion on the books. I hope once you get to the stories that I covered recently, the last part of the uh, wanted storyline, that your opinion doesn't change too radically on Ben Rabe. I know you were kind of down on Judd Winnick's portion of the book, but in my opinion, Ben Rabe's writing in the book makes Judd Winnick look Better than Judd Winnick is Steinbeck level writing compared to Ben Rabe, but that's just my opinion. But thank you for writing in, Scott. I'm gonna knock it on the head there for the emails and go ahead and jump into an issue that I'm happy to cover Green Lantern number 177. Green Lantern number 177 was cover dated June 2004 and released on May 26 of 2004 with a cover price of 225 US and 350 Canada. The title was Homecoming Question Mark Part 2 with the writer being Ron Mars, the penciler Luke Ross, inker was Rodney Ramos, the colorist was Moose Bowman, letter was Jared Fletcher, the associate editor was Stephen Wacker, the editor was Peter Tomasi and the cover art was done by Brandon Peterson. At Slabside Penitentiary, two of the elite guards are bringing a very confused fatality to a waiting helicopter. Warden Norman asks one of the attending government thugs for a reason for the transfer of this highly dangerous criminal, and gets told that if he wants an explanation, he can ask the signee himself. Witnessing who the man behind this is, Norman feels that it's best that he just let this go. Inside the chopper, Fatality questions her benefactor about why she's being released, and the shadowy man tells her that he only wants one thing, 
kill Kyle Rayner and get his ring. So, two things, I guess. Fatality says that she wants Jon Stewart, but the concealed character says Rayner first. Then she has free reign to go to town on any other lantern she wants to kill. Fatality asks if he has got so much of a mad on for Rayner, why doesn't he just take him out? And the shadowy figure says that he'd like to avoid a public event of this level. The man asks if they have a deal. Fatality agrees, and her restraints are released. Meanwhile, Grunge Sonar is bemoaning the fact that his simple smash-and-grab has turned into a hostage situation in the NYC subway. But while he's monologuing, the Green Line has arrived. And by Green Line, I mean Ring Construct's subway train. And by arrived, I mean driven by Kyle Rayner, Green Lantern, who isn't ready to deal with Sonar's BS. Green Lantern tells Sonar to just come quietly, a bit of irony lost on the sound-based villain, who promptly smashes up the place. Of course, Kyle is prepared for Sonar's attacks, and rings up a pair of earmuffs to drown out his sonic attacks, and a giant Chinese dragon to swallow the villain whole. Unfortunately, the dragon didn't digest him. It only encased him in a soundproof bubble, which should last until the police can get him back where he belongs. The NYPD begin to thank Green Lantern, but an angry hot dog vendor who got his cart smashed in the tussle starts cursing out the hero for ruining his business. Cal apologizes and rings up some construction workers to repair the cart as he flies away. But before he can get too far, a familiar voice calls his name. A familiar voice belonging to one Jenny Lynn Hayden. Jenny asks Cal not to let the hot dog douche get him down, and then asks if they can go somewhere to talk. Settling onto a bench near the Jackie Kennedy Reservoir, Cal and Jenny talk it out. Cal says that there's no way that he can forgive her, and Jenny says she never meant it to happen. Lucas isn't a one-night stand, but Jenny isn't sure if they're an exclusive thing, and besides, the conversation really isn't about him. Cal is fine not talking about him. They can talk about how they went from living together, him proposing, and a possible pregnancy, to this. Jenny says that when he was away, she changed, without even realizing it. She had moved on without him, and she's sorry that all of this happened. Cal asks if that's it. Should he just accept her apology after she slept with some guy while they were still together? Frustrated, Kyle walks off, saying that they have nothing left to talk about. But Jenny pleads with him, saying she doesn't want it to end like this. Not like this, but you do want it to end, Kyle states. A somber yes is Jenny's only reply. Kyle states that he was looking forward to coming back to Earth, coming back to Jenny, but now he realizes that he was fooling himself. He bemoans the failure of his last few relationships and prepares to add this one to that ever-growing list. Asking Jenny if they're truly over, Jenny tells him that she thinks it's for the best. She asks if Kyle can forgive her, and Kyle replies that it doesn't work that way. He tells her to keep the apartment. He's just got a few things to move out anyway. Thankful for his understanding, Jenny gives him a final hug, then walks away. Later that night, Kyle has packed up his belongings, some clothes in the sketchbook, and is saying his farewells to Radu and his friends at the coffee shop. Realizing that this chapter of his life is coming to an end, Kyle wonders what new beginning will come forth from this. But it just so happens he's not the only one looking for an ending, as Fatality has arrived and is ready to provide just that for the Green Lantern. Like I said earlier in the story, I am so glad to be reading Ron Mars on this book. 
Last time out, Trentus Magnus proclaimed that this is not only a story setting up the end of Kyle in the Green Lantern book, but even more so the end of the post-crisis DC universe. Identity Crisis is a month away, For Tomorrow is going on in the Superman books, DC The New Frontier is on issue 4 of 6, and all of these, for better or worse, are the start of a new era at DC, and Ron Mars is definitely writing a tale that looks like it'll wrap up the era in which he defined the character of Kyle Rayner and set the groundwork for the feel of comics of that time. And what's so pleasing to me in this story is that after such mishandling, Kyle is being written the way I remember him. Heroic, but humble. Not prone to anger, despite the fact that Jenny completely broke his heart. Yes, life is taking an enormous steaming dump on him right now, but in the end, he's still persevering. Even with all of these things ending for him, Kyle is still looking towards the future. Certainly an uncertain future, but one he's willing to take on no matter what. And that is why Kyle is one of my favorite comic book characters of all time. I can only think that the uncertainty written about in this book, about Kyle's future, can only parallel the uncertainty of the future of DC Comics. For many people, this was a demarcation period, where, for better or worse, the bloom had come off the rose for DC as a comics company, and I think this story is an apt representation of that. But enough of my silly ramblings, let's take a look at some specifics in the book. Starting off with the cover, it's okay, but the composition is is nice. I I prefer the composition a lot better. Jenny and Kyle look like they've been drawn away from a conversation that they're having by something off-panel, something more important that they're going to have to face. Uh, this is perhaps the foretelling of the battle with fatality at the end of the book. Maybe Jenny comes back to help Kyle with the battle of fatality. We'll see about that. Regardless, the cover copy, again, drives home the message of the story, where things are changing for both of our heroes, who are now having to say their goodbyes. And I will admit Brandon Peterson does draw a very good Jenny Lynn Hayden, but Kyle just looks a bit too beefy. But the image on the cover is expressing what's going on in the book. This is an ending point for the book, and saying your greetings and farewells is essentially, like I said, what's going on in the book. We're getting Ron Mars coming back, having to take on the task of writing these characters that have been mismanaged, in my opinion, and then also write a story where things are all wrapped up. And I think so far he's doing a really good job at wrapping things up for the Kyle Rayner run. Page one, panel three, I'd be remiss in doing my due diligence for this book if I weren't to insert a certain song in here, since we have a helicopter on the on the page here in panel three, and since the best helicopter song has already been co-opted by the guys over at the Fantastic Cast, I'm happy to score this with the Blue Thunder theme.
yes, James Ferentino, Dana Carvey, Dick Butkus, and Bubba Smith would be proud right now. I don't know if they'd be proud of Blue Thunder. Maybe they'll be proud of me playing the theme on the show. Regardless, thanks, Blue Thunder, for keeping us all safe. Page two, we never get to see the person who authorized the release of Fatality, but the government goon who gives the transfer orders to Norman Warden makes the comment that he's just here, quote-unquote, in the flesh, so to speak. Since we get that sort of subtle hint at who it might be, I've got an idea who it is, but I'm just not 100% certain yet. Page three, there was also some subtle hints as well on this page of who it might be, yet the person is a very muscular-looking person, and on that final panel on panel five on this page, he's got an evil, wicked grin. I know I've seen this before. I think I know who this is, but I'm not certain. But if you know anything about Kyle Rayner's history and Ron Mars trying to wrap up that history, it would completely make sense if this person is who it's supposed to be. Or at least is who I'm thinking it's supposed to be. But page four, panel two, we get even more hints. He says that he's also had run-ins with Jon Stewart. I'm not certain if that helps anymore determine who he is, but it might. Page six, this is true. During Kyle's run, he wasn't able to amass any iconic, well, not any, but many iconic villains. I would say Fatality is probably the biggest one, but Sonar is really not the best of them. But Sonar is one of those villains that kind of stuck with Kyle Rayner, and despite the fact that he's, I don't even want to say a C-list villain, he is one that has shown up quite frequently in Kyle Rayner's run. But by this time, Kyle knows exactly how to take him out, and it's it's really great. Page 9, panel 3. I'd like to hear that even as Kyle's being blasted by sonar and you know monologuing in his head that this dilemma is really not what he was looking forward to, he managed to save people from falling debris with a ring construct baseball bit. He's still the hero despite the fact that he feels that he's getting dumped on, possibly literally, mostly figuratively in the book, and he's still capable of making sure that innocents aren't harmed. The sign of a true hero being written well, once again, by Ron Mars. Page 10, the hot dog vendor does have a bit of validity behind his statement about Kyle smashing up his his hot dog stand because here on page or page 10 panel 2 he does ring up a big ring construct gorilla and basically do the Thor Loki or not not the Thor the Hulk Loki bit from the Avengers and smash sonar all around here so yeah the hot dog vendor despite being kind of a douche does have a valid point. Page 12, panel 1. I like Kyle working with the police, and I like that the police are very appreciative of what Kyle did, but then we get panels 2 through 5 on page 12, and the hot dog vendor is a different story, and he cries that Kyle's antics aren't covered by insurance. But even though Kyle's getting hassled, he rings up the construction workers to help rebuild his cart. Kyle essentially wasn't really in the wrong. He was protecting the city from this super-powered villain. Granted, it was Sonar, but still. And even though he did smash up this guy's hot dog cart, it wasn't intentional. And 
even in his foul mood, Kyle does offer to help this guy rebuild it, but the guy is still resentful of it all. So yes, Kyle throughout this story is just getting dumped on and dumped on by essentially everyone he runs into. Pages 14 through 19, I'm just going to cover this as a whole. Like Trentus Magnus said last time, this is Ron Mars coming in and trying to put back together all the things that were broken over the time that he wasn't in on the book. Thankfully here, Jenny does at least say she's sorry, and Kyle absolutely has the right to go off on her, but throughout all of this conversation, he doesn't throw a fit, and it doesn't even seem like he raises his voice. He just takes it as one more bit of kismet coming his way, and even though Jenny heard him, he allows them to part ways with a hug. It's a sign of what a mature character he's become, and it's how he's willing to let things go despite how badly they're tearing him up inside. And although I haven't mentioned it, the art by Luke Ross is really good on this page. Uh, on the first scene of page 14, we've got Jenny sitting on this top of this hotel sign. Jenny looks really amazing. Her facial features are great. Ross does a good job of drawing her concerns. She looks, she looks like she's actually remorseful for doing this, which was something that she wasn't in the least during the Ben Ray run. She felt no remorse for doing this. In fact, she felt more that she was needed to be secret about this. She felt deceitful. So the fact that Ron Mars is coming in here to write her and try and mop up the mess that Ben Ray spewed all over the pages is once again a credit to how great a writer Ron Mars is and how he gets these characters and I think probably how he was kind of upset by the way the characters were treated and how he wants to try and resolve this, but he can't, there, there are just some things you can't put together. So he has to finish this off in a satisfactory way that feels real for Kyle. Jenny, unfortunately, I hate to say it. I think her character was beyond redemption and, this is the best thing that I think that Ron Mars could do for her. But again, quickly going back to the art, really good throughout all this. A lot of emotion played through this. Uh, Ross does a good job at Skyline. Um, I've done some Google mapping of the area around the uh, Jackie Onassis Reservoir in Central Park. And the buildings behind here look like the buildings you would see from certain areas of the park. So... I think Luke Ross did his due diligence in getting this done. It would be nice to have seen Daryl Banks in the book. It would have been nice if they could have gotten the team back together, but I think Ross is doing doing an admirable job. Page 20, this is a really wonderful set of just four horizontal panels uh, showing Kyle saying farewell to radio at the coffee shop. Also in the panel, as we see from the outside of the shop through the windows, it looks like one of the people who's having coffee there might be Cleveland, the blind musician that was in the apartment. And also the uh, lesbian couple, Lee and Lee, are looking over and watching Kyle exit. And it's, it's really good storytelling artistically as it's showing the progression of time and Kyle saying farewell to radio and all the while Ron Mars writing in the little caption boxes about Kyle's thought process through all of this about how he needs to move on and how he needs to progress in his life. 
it's it's a wonderful combination of art and dialogue that really sets this story apart. But then we get to the final page, and it's Fatality versus Kyle. And Fatality looks great. She's got her sort of weird spear thing back. And it's going to be an epic battle. And I'm looking forward to it. Ron Mars is bringing back all the elements that he set up in the Kyle Rayner run, and he's getting to write a conclusion for them. And I so look forward to this. This is... I'm so happy with this book, and I think it may be coupled by the fact that I was so disappointed with what happened at the end of Ben Ray run that I'm just looking for anything good to be going on in the book, and I'm getting it in spades. Really, really wonderful story. Let's see if, in comparison, there's some really, really wonderful ads in the book. Let's check it out. The front ad side cover is an advertisement for Urban Pipeline. I guess it's a clothing line sold at uh, Kohl's. It's essentially a John Mayer-esque person with an acoustic guitar strumming it while he's got his shirt open and his khaki shorts on and his hip trendy shoes. Push against the pull, play against the program, inside, outside, always up for something. Okay, yeah, the, these obviously are not clothes for me. A few pages in, we get the Juicy Fruit Grapeleberry or Grapelmelon, whatever the heck weird GMO fruit thing that is for chewing gum. Ugh, weird. After that, we get an advertisement for Invader Zim, I guess the Invader Zim DVD release. I never got into Invader Zim, but I've heard that it's a heck of a fun, heck of a lot of fun show. It's probably one of the ones I'll have to catch up, you know, on eventually. After that, we get a two-page ad for a bunch of books by Andy Griffiths, and not the guy who does the whistling and goes fishing with, you know, Ron Howard. I guess he's one of these children's books writers uh, with books entitled... Zombie Butts from Uranus, The Day My Butt Went Psycho, Just Annoying, Just Joking, Just Stupid, and Just Wacky. I guess these are all scholastic books, which is odd that they have scholastic books in a well, a, a, a comic, a DC comic at this time, because seems a bit seems a bit youth-oriented for these books, but maybe that's just me. After that, we get the advertisement for the Harry Potter and the Predator of Azkaban video game. Courage might fail you, friends won't. Once again, this is for the the GameCube, Xbox, Game Boy Advance, and PlayStation 2. Once again, also, as a movie tie-in game, probably not that good. Then we get an advertisement for the GameCube game Custom Robo, which I guess is sort of a... What am I thinking? Robot Wars or whatever that is type game where you build your own robot and fight against someone. I guess fight against other robots. Once again, I don't think it went anywhere. Then we get another center of the center of the comic advertisement for Magic the Gathering cards with a bunch of very hip, baggy pant wearing people playing Magic the Gathering. I guarantee none of the people depicted here ever played Magic the Gathering. I'm certain it wasn't attracting people who are as cool as this. Could be wrong, but these people look like they... 
these people look like they're out of you know an Abercrombie and Fitch ad, stylistically drawn that way, and I can't see Abercrombie and Fitch people playing Magic the Gathering. Next page, we have an advertisement for I guess a couple of comics: Batgirl, Fist of Fury, JLA Rules of Engagement, and the DVD season. Uh, what's the the second season of Smallville as well? So. I guess you can pick up uh, DVDs of Smallville at your local comic book shop. That's interesting. Another two-page ad. This is for the PlayStation 2 version of Transformers, and I think this is the G1. This is it. Yeah, it looks like Generation 1 Transformers. I've seen the original G1 Optimus Prime and Shockwave. It looks like Starscream maybe in there as well, but I think this was... This was one of the more lauded Transformers games. I haven't played any of those. Once again, Transformers wasn't my thing, but it looks it looks like the Generation 1 stuff. And I'm, I'm certain at the time, yeah, the Bayformers Transformers weren't even out. So probably this would have been significantly better. After that, we get an advertisement from The Truth saying, 20 years ago, tobacco companies stated, started working on fire-safe cigarette technology as of 2002. Only one brand uses it. So it's The Truth telling you tobacco companies are evil. And then they have another ad at the back outside page. It says cigarettes are still the number one cause of all fire-related deaths. So don't smoke. You'll burn your house to the ground. There's a house ad for uh, Justice League of America Another Nail, which I guess is the sequel to the Nail storyline, which essentially surmised what would happen if Superman landed in another portion of America and wasn't discovered by the Kins and wasn't brought up to be Superman. What would happen to the country? I remember that being a really interesting story. The Justice League formed without Superman as their head. And I guess this one just follows along with this. It's written and drawn by Alan Davis and featuring inks by Mark Farmer. I may have to pick this up because I've heard this is a really good uh, Elseworlds story, so maybe I'll have to go check that out. Um, the DC in Demand talks about uh, the Justice League Elite, which is essentially the characters from Superman 775, the Elite, which we, if you've seen the Superman vs. the Elite storyline, it's Manchester Black and all those characters coming in in their own Justice League title. Then, like I said, we've also got uh, talk about two months to the Catwoman movie, oh joy, and one month to Identity Crisis, so there you go. Plus there's uh, new versions of Richard Dragon coming out, so get your dick dragon in. I'll let that sit there. The back outside cover is an advertisement for a free Justice League Adventure comic book whenever you buy, I guess, a certain number of Sour Patch straws, which I guess are Sour Patch gum me straws. No idea. But it's the Justice League Adventures, so it's the uh, sort of animated look at the characters. So Interesting, I guess. But that does it for Green Lantern. A significant increase over the past couple of issues. I mean... Not last issue, because that was also really awesome. But it's good to have Ron Mars back on the run. And it'll be good to see Kyle face down Fatality in the next issue. And that's what we'll be covering in seven days with issue number 178 of Green Lantern. So I hope you're enjoying the podcast as much as I'm enjoying doing it and as much as I'm enjoying reading books. But until then, I hope everyone has a good week and we'll catch you in seven days for another episode of Just One of the Guys. Until then, 
Have a great week, everyone. You've been listening to Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast, hosted by yours truly, Sean Ingle. All images, stories, and music are copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This podcast is done solely out of my desire to show the denizens of the internet that comic books could be fun, humorous, compelling, thought-provoking, and exciting, while not having to fall into the weary tropes of the 1990s. I'm not in any way doing this for monetary gain, which irritates my wife to no end. All feedback for the show can be sent to the show's Gmail account at justoneoftheguyspodcast at gmail.com. All feedback, positive and negative, is warmly welcomed. All spam bots are warmly welcome, too, as long as your definition of a warm welcome is for them to die horribly in a fire. The website address for the show can be found at the brand new Two True Freaks website, located at twotruefreaks.com. There you can find the RSS feed, as well as scans of the covers, and whatever else I feel like putting up. Look for me on iTunes. Just search for Two True Freaks Presents Just One of the Guys podcast, and you, you can subscribe to the show there. You can search for me on Facebook as well, and now you can find me there, as it was a requirement of my new Demaza Core contract. But it doesn't mean that I'll be joining your little Candy Crush group anytime soon. Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next Friday for another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast. The opening music for today's show was the Beatles and their song, Goodbye, Hello. Now, this song, as far as I can tell, was released as a single as a B-side to I Am the Walrus by John Lennon. Now, if you'd like to get that single, you're probably going to pay a lot of money, but you can get the digital download of it over at Amazon.com. Of course, if you go to Amazon.com to get this song or any other music from the Beatles, I'd suggest first you go to TwoTrueFreaks.com. When you go to TutorFreaks.com and click the banner in the upper left-hand corner of the homepage, you'll be transported to Amazon.com, where any purchase that you make will shoot a little money back to the TutorFreaks website. It won't cost you anything extra. Whatever you're buying at Amazon will cost you the price that's posted, but Amazon's just polite enough to give us a little money for advertising for them. So whenever you're thinking about buying music, movies, DVDs, games, or anything from Amazon.com, please feel free to use the link at 2TrueFreaks.com.